You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And this podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, greetings, everyone. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to tune into the show. And I hope that this episode inspires and encourages you on your own journey. Special welcome if you're listening to the podcast for the first time. I hope that you enjoy it and that maybe you find it not only interesting, but also a little fun too. And for those who are regular listeners, thanks so much. You guys rock. You're amazing. And I always appreciate the support so much. A big shout out to my sponsors, inlpcenter.org, offering world-class online neuro-linguistic programming and life coach training to people in over 70 countries. And to daily recovery support, interactive daily group calls in a safe atmosphere, For survivors of complex trauma, equipping you with the skills and information that you can use every single day in your healing journey. Learn more about this affordable resource and get signed up at cptsdfoundation.org. If you find these podcasts helpful, please do consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends. That would be awesome and I would definitely appreciate it. So today my guest is John Dixon. I first met John at the Healthy Voices Conference this past spring 2018 in Chicago. We struck up a friendship during the conference and have kept in touch since. He joins me today to share some of his story, which includes living with major depressive disorder and surviving an attempt to take his own life in September 2014. We also discuss some more recent diagnosis change to bipolar 2 disorder and how he's coming to terms with this new information and learning to watch for key signs that might signify an upcoming hypomanic state. John runs a blog, the3ofme.ga, which I'll link in the show notes, where he shares weekly about his experiences in living with these mental health challenges to help inspire and educate others while he continues his own journey of healing and exploration. I appreciate John taking some time to come on the podcast and talk with me, and I'm sure that you'll find it informative and definitely enlightening. So without further delay, let's join my chat with John Dixon right now. So, hey, John, welcome to Beyond Your Past, man. How are you, dude? It's been a while since I talked to you. It, uh, it's, it's been a while. I'm glad we met. Uh, I thank you for the opportunity. And right now I'm doing very well. Uh, awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. There's been some challenges after the Healthy Voices Conference that we met at. But uh, on the whole, things have been looking up. That's awesome. Yep. And we will definitely talk about that. In fact, why don't we start a little bit about that? You and I had met uh, by chance at the uh, Healthy Voices Conference 2018 that was in Chicago uh, this past um, spring. And that was really cool. I, I remember sitting down at a table in the main conference room and I just, you know, you, I, I think I sat down beside you or you sat down beside me and we just started talking and then we kind of chatted off and on all weekend. And, you know, um, we made some great friendships and some great connections there. And, that was my first experience there. Was that was that your first time there? I can't remember. Yes, it was, um, and it was awesome. That, that, that far exceeded my expectations. I, I my expectations were um, in conflict because it was uh, a pharmaceutical company that was promoting it and funding it. Um, yep. And you know, like a lot of people, you hear stories about 
uh, pharma, big pharma and, and their uh, uh, evil side. And, and this was not that at all. It was, it was eye-opening and I'm glad I went. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I kind of had a similar type of, I guess, mindset of you or maybe like an expectation going in. I'm like, well, you know, it looks like there's a lot of cool stuff, but it is hosted by a big pharmaceutical company. And we know, what are they going to try on pushing us? Is it going to be geared a certain way? And it was nothing like that. It was so, it was a great experience, very open. They were very receptive to our thoughts. They had great speakers. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get invited back next year, but it, uh, it, w- it was a great time. And I, and I know you and I both made a lot of great connections, heard a lot of great speakers. And so, uh, you know, tons of good stuff to say about the Healthy Voices Conference. Like you, I can't uh, say enough good things about it. It was uh, eye-opening. It was life-changing. Um, the staff were uh, approachable, accommodating, and bent over backwards to make sure that the advocates uh, were taken care of. And as far as advocates go, there was, you know, in excess of 120 of us there uh, representing 40 different illnesses. Uh, so we got wonderful exposure to a lot of things outside of mental health that showed us the common uh, currents between all of these various ailments. And it was marvelous to see that. Yeah. And wasn't it neat? I mean, it was all advocates, obviously. And you're right. Like the staff was just incredible. I mean, anything you needed, they were there for you. You know, we had the quiet room, the social media room, all all the cool stuff that was going on. But I enjoyed interacting with all of the advocates there and and making those new connections and and talking with people. I, I think I got almost more out of that than I did the actual speakers, which I don't know if they, you know, want that or not. But I mean, I the speakers were amazing. The content was great. But I think just the connections and talking with people, when you come from the mental health side of it, which is where I generally come from, and I think where you mostly come from, to get to interact with people who are advocates for you know different types of physical conditions and you know chronic pain and illness and see how our platforms may be different, but the things that we do, the struggles we have, the mindsets, the, you know, the, the challenges, it's all very similar. And to be able to brainstorm with people and just share and, and vent and talk and, and interact for a weekend and just a very relaxing atmosphere was, was just incredible. Well, and for myself, um, I'm very much an introvert. Um, so I don't do well in crowds, but I have never felt as relaxed in with a group of strangers in my life as I did at that conference. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? I remember the first day that we were there, um, you know, they were, they were feeding us, I think it was lunch or something in the one big room there. And I was sitting at a table by myself, which I mean, I didn't really mind. It's just, you know, I was used to it. And one of the staff there, uh, Caitlin came over and just started talking to me. And then like another one came down and before I knew it, I had three or four people from Jansen just kind of hanging out Hey, Matt, how are you? Nice to meet you. What's your platform? Oh, I see you're with Beyond Your Past, blah, blah, blah. And just, you know, started talking to you like they knew and appreciated you. And it was. Yeah, it, it, that type of uh, mood was infused throughout the entire weekend. So uh, like you, I'm, I'm looking forward or hoping to be there next year. Let's kind of jump into a little bit. I know you have a blog and you're active on social media and you and I have kind of been keeping in touch off and on since since the conference. So, you know, you are pretty open about your mental health challenges in your life. So maybe share a little bit about what those are, why you're so open to talking about them and, you know, just kind of how that affects your daily life. And we can just kind of jump into a conversation. Absolutely. Um, There's really three reasons why I'm very open about my mental health struggles. The first one is uh, it's important for me to show my son uh, that I'm successful in recovery. Um, I share both the good and the bad so that he knows 
uh, that his dad is okay. Uh, and that's important to me because <clears throat> I had the, the horrible uh, circumstance of having to tell my son that I had attempted to take my own life. Um, and that's not a conversation that any father should have with the son or any parent or child. Uh, but it's one that I had to have. And in light of that, I make a point of ensuring that he's aware of just where I'm at mentally and physically so that any concerns that he may have um, are abated. The second reason why I share is because I recognize that for me as an introvert, um, I was very closed off, very private. And that fed into uh, the depression that preceded my suicide attempt. Um, and the only way to challenge that is to be less private and become more open. Um, so that's what I've chosen to do. And so far it's working. Um, the third reason, and this one was one I didn't expect, is that when I started to write about my struggles uh, on my blogs and on Twitter, um, people contacted me and showed me that what I was saying was being listened to. Um, I didn't expect it to be listened to. Uh, but when you start sharing, there are many people out there who need to hear that because it answers something that they themselves are struggling with. They may not be able to uh, be as eloquent in expressing what it is that they're feeling. They may not truly understand it, uh, but when they see it being expressed by somebody else, there's a comfort that, that arises out of that uh, and an expectation. And the expectation, and I'm sure it's one that you've come across yourself, is that we become advocates ourselves, uh, advocating what others uh, may be feeling or wanting to share, but don't know how to. So many powerful things you shared right there, man. Like I could go in a hundred different directions just on, you know, one of the things that you had mentioned um, was when you started writing, how people started to reach out to you and say, hey, you know, they, they were being helped by what you were writing and they were, you know, encouraging you and <clears throat> and cheering you on. And I found a similar thing that honestly, I didn't expect that either. Much like you, I started writing and you know, I kind of had the expectation of I, I was writing to help myself, but I was hoping that maybe someday somebody would read it. It might help them, you know, that kind of thing. And lo and behold, once you put yourself out there, you find a whole new world of people who have survived all kinds of similar things that you have. And, and you get people who are just cheering you on and thanking you because maybe you helped save their life. Maybe you helped them feel they weren't alone, just any, any number of situations. So I, I believe a hundred thousand percent in the power of sharing your story, writing it, podcasting, doing whatever it is you can do to get your story out there because you never know how many people it's going to help and when it's going to help them just when they need it. So as you and I both know uh, it really comes down to if we help just one, we help one person find a way to continue their life, uh, find a way to resolve the pain that they're in, um, then that's, that's worth putting yourself out there. 
we want to help as many as we can, but you're right. If we only ever help just one person and that person is still alive because of something that we wrote or shared or whatever, that's really what it's all about. Share your story when you're at a point to be able to do so, because, you know, like what we've been talking about, it's, it's healing for others, but man, it ever, it helps you in just incredible ways as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your diagnosis and some of the things that you live with. And let's kind of jump back a couple of years right now. And there was a significant event that happened in 2014. Maybe kind of expound upon that a little bit more and and the situations that led up to it. Absolutely. Um, Well, in a nutshell, in September of 2014, I attempted to take my own life. Uh, Much of my life, well, my life has been completely transformed since then. but what I've learned is how to look back at events prior to 2014 and understand exactly what they were. Um, I've suffered from depressive episodes on and off since my teens, perhaps sooner, but I, I certainly have recollections of dark moods um, as a teenager. I didn't think much of it because teenagers are supposed to be moody to begin with. That That's part of the uh, the growth of the hormones rushing through our bodies caused things like that. Um, and over the years, those episodes of dark mood uh, became more frequent um, and became longer in duration. Now, this is all stuff that I've been able to look back on with a clear eye and recognize what was going on. At the time, I didn't. Um, and so when I was 2014, um, I had been in a depressive episode that had lasted a couple of years. None of this stuff was treated by a psychiatrist. None of it was treated by a doctor. Uh, I did what most men do uh, when they're dealing with a mental health challenge, and that is I held it within myself and uh, tried to man up and and, uh, uh, fight it without success. And I did what too many men do. And that is I attempted to take my own life. Uh, The sad thing is, is that uh, too many men succeed. After 2014, uh, once I had clarity of thought, um, I recognized things about myself that needed to change. One of them was being more open about my mental health. One of them was being uh, less private as a person. Uh, but I also learned about my illness, uh, and, and that was important because once I knew what the illness was, it took away the mystery of it, and it enabled me to learn coping techniques that blunted its danger. doesn't eradicate it. I still have depressive episodes, but what's different now is that I know different ways to cope and manage it, and, and that's so important. Um, And that's part of what I try and share also in my writing is these various techniques that benefit me, that may benefit somebody else, but more importantly, can show somebody else that there are ways to manage. So there's really that two side. There's the 30 plus years of struggle and the four years of recovery uh, where I try and explore both and share and teach. So I'm curious, when you started to to be more open, to started to write, to started to tell your story, how difficult was it for you to do that? You know, I mean, was it something where you were able to realize that 
okay, I need to make this change. I'm going to jump right in and do it. Did you kind of gradually work to it? Like, I guess, cause I know for a lot of those of us who are introverts and I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of look at myself as an introverted extrovert. And, but you know, for so many, just the thought of being able to interact in public or, or share something vulnerable in some kind of public way is beyond terrifying. So for somebody who was an introvert and isolated so much, tell us a little bit more about how you transitioned into being able to write more and talk more and be more open. And cause I, I would imagine it had to be a struggle for at least a while, right? Um, that's a good question. Um, in some ways, it wasn't a struggle at all. And that is surprising to me is, is, is to say, uh, but it's an accurate reflection. I recognize that if I continued to be who I had been up to 2014, then that would lead to another attempt. That was inevitable because... Uh, clearly, and uh, this is part of the, the clarity of thought I developed. Clearly, if who you are led to that point, then not changing it is only going to lead to that same point. So I had to change. And speaking about it was easy uh, because I was speaking to professionals. I was speaking to uh, a doctor who uh, agreed to take me on as a patient uh, on an emergency basis. I was speaking to uh, facilitators at the Canadian Mental Health Association. I was speaking to a counselor one-on-one, and I was speaking to somebody uh, to get involved in group therapy. Uh, They were all professionals, all had an understanding of of, um, where I was coming from. So it was really easy to open up to them. Writing was hard. It was hard because I was being, and again, I'm sure you can appreciate this yourself through your own work. Um, I was being very vulnerable in my writing, um, but I was writing initially for myself. Uh, and as I said uh, earlier, I was also writing for my son. Um, but the vulnerability was because I wanted to be as honest with myself as I could be, for good or bad. Um, and by putting uh, that honesty on the internet, um, I, I was vulnerable in a, in a very real way. Uh, I've been very fortunate that I haven't had any uh, negativity come my way through it. Um, I know people who mm-hmm. have, and, and uh, it appalls me that uh, mm-hmm. other people take advantage of of somebody's vulnerability like that. But I've been very lucky in, in uh, sharing my story without any negative uh, repercussion. And because of that, I keep sharing. And I will keep sharing even now if there is a repercussion because now I'm stronger and more able to manage it than I was four years ago. Yeah, and I, I think that's the beauty of of being able to share your story is that it builds up resiliency and self-confidence and, and self-esteem in a way that we never thought was possible. I mean... I started blogging about my story several years ago, but if but if you would have told me before that that I was going to start writing about mental health and being a survivor of childhood trauma and all kinds of anxiety and depression and grief, I, I would have told you that you were like out of your freaking mind because yeah. I never would have guessed that I could do it. I never would guess that I would want to do it or I would have a reason to. But yeah, I just I think when you get to a point where you start writing and talking, it doesn't get you know it's never easy. 
but it gets easier because you get more confidence to keep going. And uh, you, uh, earlier this year, you had a, you had a, a diagnosis change. So if you're comfortable, maybe share a little bit about that. Yeah, it was basically in February of this year. My diagnosis was changed from uh, major depressive disorder to bipolar two disorder. Um, and initially, I really didn't pay any attention to it. I, I like with major depressive disorder. I didn't do any research. I didn't wonder what the difference was, because um, as far as I was concerned, the problem was was still depression. It really wasn't until after Healthy Voices that I came to understand what bipolar two disorder meant for me. Because essentially, what happened is that uh, just prior to Healthy Voices um, and that conference itself, that triggered a hypomanic episode. Um, so I, I was really up. And as a result of being up, I became extremely productive. Um, and that extreme productivity, I started a new blog. I wrote or organized to write uh, approximately 50 pieces of writing. Um, I have written enough um, in in the month of June, that will cover me until January of next year. Um, I was just that busy, that excited, that that active. Um, sleep was short, which makes sense if you're writing that much. You're not sleeping much, but I didn't need sleep. You know, three hours was too much, and I spent or well, I, I did. I spent frivolously. Um, I, I spent money that I really shouldn't have, and I'm feeling the pun- uh, the pinch of that right now. But you know what's done is done, and I came to understand that that's because of the bipolar two, that the hypomanic episode. It's not as severe as somebody who is manic. Uh, hypomanic simply means less manic, um, but where the problem lies is the depression. The depression for somebody with bipolar two typically will last longer and it will be deeper than for somebody who suffers from bipolar one. And that's stuff that I've had to learn because um, I crashed at the beginning of July um, and I crashed big time and I, I scrambled to find out what was going on because it, this, it came out of the blue. You know, I went from being really productive, really energized uh, to being suicidal in the space of a night. And because of that, I've now taken the time to begin to understand what that diagnosis means. Um, I I don't ignore it anymore. And by virtue of doing the research, um, I've learned to understand it. Um, I've learned to have less fear of the crash and more fear of the hypomania that precedes it. Um, Because that's really what I need to understand is is what led to it and what are the signs so that I can cope with both signs. I know the signs of my depression, Uh, the biggest one being isolation. 
but the signs for the hypomania, what do I do that precedes it? That's what I need to learn next. Wow. Yeah. That's a huge, huge life changing diagnosis. And, uh, you know, when you were, when you were talking about how you went into this very productive state, when I first started writing on my blog, I was pumping out four or five blog posts a week. And I really, now obviously that wasn't a, um, uh, sustainable pace, but early on I got so motivated. Now mine wasn't in relation to bipolar two, but it was more of just, I got really motivated to start writing. I just started writing. And after a while, I kind of had to find a rhythm of, you know, Hey, I can't keep writing this much and you know, it's not sustainable. I'm getting exhausted. I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating right. I'm not getting any exercise. I'm running on adrenaline and I'm crashing and drinking coffee out the yin yang and all this stuff. And then, so I had to find a bit of a rhythm. And so uh, how, how challenging was it for you to either slow down or put the brakes on completely or just find a new rhythm to be able to write and share your story once you got this new diagnosis, maybe take us through a little bit more of that in terms of how that, you know, really kind of affected what you were doing. Because, you know, as you said, you wrote like 50 blog pieces almost, you know, right away. So you've got content for the next, you know, the next year, basically. But now all of a sudden you're realizing, wait a minute, there's something going on. Why is this happening? Okay, now my life has to change again. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not an easy adjustment. Uh, it was a more difficult adjustment than. Uh, the adjustment for major depressive disorder, uh, mostly because I always knew, uh, I shouldn't say always knew, uh, the dark moods were fairly common, but there was also moments of light. Um, they were not as common. And I always attributed them to being a recovery of sorts from the dark mood that preceded them. I never looked at them as being uh, two sides of a coin. But what I faced in July uh, was a recognition that it's not necessarily that the dark mood preceded the light mood. Uh, but sometimes it was the other way around. And in this case, it was the uh, hypomania that led to the crash, not the crash that leads to the hypomania. So it, it really was uh, eye-opening because now I understood in a different way what was leading to my depressive episodes. It was another uh, factor in them that I, I hadn't been aware of. Like all things, uh, when you're diagnosed, uh, and I'm sure you've, again, done this yourself, you look through your past and you see uh, patterns that, all of a sudden makes sense to you. Uh, and that's what happened in July. Uh, after I found my, my base and, and was able to stabilize myself, I could look back and see patterns. And, and I saw uh, uh, that I, I recently went to uh-huh. Ottawa for, uh, to talk about the mental health uh-huh. initiative called Big White uh-huh. Wall here in Ontario. Um, and that led to a hypomanic episode. I just thought I was in a good mood. And the diagnosis uh, I, I learned from, from my psychiatrist after I spoke to him in July, that's what led to the change in diagnosis was my positive mood after my visit in Ottawa. But he hadn't brought that to my attention in, in a very specific way. 
he just said I was suffering from bipolar too. And at the time I was shocked, so I didn't know how to respond to it. So a couple of things that, that flow out of that for me is one, put your mental health professional on the spot. If they're saying something is X, Y, or Z, ask them why it's X, Y, or Z. Don't just be satisfied with a, a statement um, and, and you know ask about it. Uh, because clearly if I had asked about it, um, I would have had an understanding that preceded you know, events that happened seven months later. The other thing that comes out of that is my tools helped me when I was spiraling down, when I was crashing the tools that I have to deal with major depressive disorder health. Uh, my wellness toolbox, my self-care plan, uh, my apps on my cell phone, all of those tools helped because they were things that were giving me handholds, and it was important to have those handholds. And then the other thing that helped is, is as I mentioned uh, earlier, is I finally researched the issue. I, I learned about bipolar 2, still learning about it, to be honest. Uh, but once you learn about the illness, you develop an understanding of it, and it it's not as scary as it was uh, because you didn't know. I'm not sure if that makes any sense. <laughs> oh, no, it makes perfect sense. And it's something that I had this weird like paradox in my head when I first started learning about the things that I had gone through and trying to figure out how much I was dealing with anxiety and what dissociation was and why I was having flashbacks and all these things that we, we often talk about how much we hate being labeled with things, especially, you know, having mental health challenges and being survivors of various types of, of past trauma and whatnot. But there's some empowerment and, and I've been finding the more I go along that giving something a name, calling it something, giving it a label, if you want to use that terminology, it's very, it can be very, very helpful because you're right. When you can put a label on something, even if it's really, really difficult to deal with, it seems a little bit more um, achievable to overcome it, a little more not so bad because you've got something to call it now. Like you're not going through life figuring out, why do I feel this way? Why am I crashing? Why am I so uh, productive now? And the next day I'm not. And you know, why am I feeling this way? And once you get an idea and a diagnosis that's that's true and correct and spot on, you're like, okay, now I know what the hell's going on. What can I do about it? What kind of research? What kind of self-care works? What kind doesn't? How, how do I need to adjust my medications or, or you know, my helping professional? And you start to put your own plan in place and do your research. And yeah, so giving a name to something, having a proper diagnosis is huge. And something else you mentioned um, real quick too was ask your, your helping professional questions. Don't just take it at face value. Ask, um, educate yourself, question them. So often, so many of us go through getting misdiagnosed after misdiagnosed or that we could have saved ourselves a lot of heartache and hassle and headaches if we would have, you know, learned a little bit about more. So I love what you're doing with the, with, you know, the educating yourself and asking questions and really kind of putting your own well-being at, at the forefront and taking the initiative to investigate the things that you're struggling with. Uh, yeah. And, and part of that, when, when I was a teenager, I, my family doctor at that time, uh, tried to encourage me to go into the, the field of medicine because I would ask questions that led to him drawing 
uh, diagrams of body parts and things. And I stopped doing that over the years. Uh, I don't know why I stopped, but that was another thing that I recognized is that, you know what, that was a good thing for me to do. Um, and so returning back to that practice uh, became an essential part of the recovery. No longer would I just uh, meekly go along with what the doctors were saying. It was important that I show them that I'm invested in helping to make myself better. And that part of that investment is asking questions that help me understand uh, so that I can then uh, apply tools to benefit myself. It's a good reminder and a good lesson for all of us is, you know, take the initiative to put your well-being first, do the research, take care of yourself with a good self-care routine. You were talking a little bit about how, you know, you were having um, a hypo episode where you were like, you know, very, very productive and then you would kind of crash. And I'm wondering, whenever you are in just a good mood, do you find yourself second guessing and wondering, wait a minute, is, is something coming? Or do you have a bit more of an understanding of how it affects you personally to be able to differentiate that now? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Straight uh, to the point. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, what happened is, is I spoke with my psychiatrist uh, a couple of weeks back now. Um, and he... The question that, that popped in his head was, and, and he, he muttered it out loud, uh, was why now? And the reason he was asking that question is because from a pharmaceutical point of view, he's done everything that he can, uh, unless he wants to adjust the meds again. Um, but pharmaceutically, I'm in the appropriate range for maximum benefit of one of my medications. Um, I have other medications that uh, are supposed to foster um, better sleep. Um, so he's partly at a loss as to what to do. Um, and it, I'm partly at a loss as to what to do because uh, clearly going from uh, being in a, in a really, really good mood uh, to being suicidal um, as, as rapidly as it happened, um, it, it, it threw me for a loop. Um, and so I, I now have to find, as I said earlier, I have to find what are the indicators of hypomania. One of the indicators of hypomania is poor sleep. Um, apparently, uh, you're, as, as you're getting into that uh, state of being, um, as I mentioned, my, my sleep was three hours was too much. Um, but that happens gradually, like a lot of things with mental health, it happens gradually. The problem is I always have poor sleep because I suffer from sleep apnea. So good sleep is rare. Um, and how do I distinguish bad sleep because of the sleep apnea versus bad sleep or poor sleep because of the entry into a hypomanic state. Haven't yet figured the difference out yet. <laughs> it's an ongoing learning experience. And I think that's a great way um, to segue in, into a future chat with you is to have you come back later on this calendar year or early next year 
after you know you've had some time to continue to work through it and see how it's how how it's affecting you because dealing with mental health challenges things can change obviously in a hot second and so it's always uh, helpful to get perspective to see how somebody's dealing with it because you always get insight and you can say you, you you can take what they have what you know what they share on their journey and use it to your advantage and but let's tell everybody where you can find you uh, your blogs that you had mentioned uh, Twitter and any other social media you want to share. Uh, yeah, Twitter. My handle on Twitter is at z e l a n d r o i d zero zero nine. Zell Android zero zero nine. Uh, on my my new blog uh, is the three of me dot ga, and the the other ones right now are kind of stagnant, and they're they're likely going to remain that way, uh, only because I've uh, really put a lot of energy into uh, the three of me dot ga, uh, and that's where my heart is. Uh, it's increasing the story. Uh, something that I learned at Healthy Voices was the importance of story, and, and I realized there were parts of my story that hadn't yet been shared, um, and so that's what the new blog is doing. Um, it's published uh, weekly. Every Thursday at 10 a.m., there's a new post, um, and I'd love for uh, for people to, to stop by and have a read. Yeah, absolutely. So I will put the links to your social media, to the to the new blog there in the show notes in the blog post. John, this has been great, dude. It's been great catching up. Um, more power to you as you continue your journey, continue healing, continuing to learn about yourself and your new diagnosis. Definitely stay in touch, and and we will bring you back in the future to see how things are going. So thanks a lot, my friend. It's, it's always great to talk to you. I appreciate it, Matt. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for or supersedes professional medical help or mental health counseling. Thank you again to my sponsors, INLPcenter.org and Daily Recovery Support. I hope you'll consider checking them out as they've joined forces to help keep the lights on here at the podcast and help Beyond Your Past reach as many as possible with a message of hope. If you'd like to learn more about working with me as your coach, or if you're curious about what life coaching is and how it might be right for you, then head on over to beyondyourpast.com and claim your free one-hour session where we can talk about the struggles in your life in the areas of anxiety and trauma recovery and see if coaching might be a great fit for you. Thanks again for listening, and I do hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share it with all your friends. See you next time.